It's summertime now, but the cold Canadian winter will be here soon enough. So I am planning a week-long Caribbean cruise in March with your favorite Rebel News personalities, including myself, Sheila Gunn-Reed, Alexa Lavoie, David Menzies, and many more, plus the woman of the year, Tamara Leach. Want to come with us? We're going to sail out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida on March 23rd. Our first stop will be the beautiful Half Moon Key in the Bahamas, then on to Ocho Rios, Jamaica, then the Cayman Islands, and finally Cozumel, Mexico. Talk about a great winter getaway. It's going to be beautiful and relaxing and a little bit luxurious. We're going on Holland America Line, so you know it's going to be good. But the real fun is that we're bringing some of the most interesting thinkers and doers on the cruise with us for a series of special Rebel News only events on the cruise ship when we're at sea, including panel discussions where you can get intimate and interactive with some of the smartest public policy minds around. It's not just Rebel News staff, it's newsmakers we love to interview on our shows. That's what makes this cruise so special. Over the course of the week, you'll have countless opportunities to talk one-on-one -on -one with your favorite Rebel News personalities in a casual setting. We'll have private Rebel News only receptions and a series of panel discussions with a question and answer session where you can really dig into the issues. And this is my favorite part. Every night, we're gonna have dinner together and we're gonna rotate tables at dinner each night. So you'll be with a different Rebel celebrity uh, every night. and your fellow rebel enthusiasts. So, for example, one night you'll have dinner with me, the next night you'll have dinner at Tamara Leach's table, and so on. How much fun is that? I can hardly wait. If you like cruising already, well, this is truly something unique. And if you've never been on a cruise ship before, this is the perfect way to start, with a group of like-minded rebels from coast to coast. You can find out all the details, including the different cabin prices, at rebelnewscruise.com. I know you're going to look back on it as the vacation of a lifetime. We've reserved a limited number of Rebel News cabins, so book yours today at rebelnewscruise.com. We'll see you there. Sorry to disappoint you, it is not David Menzies, it's me, Ezra Levant. My good friend David is doing something very exciting right now. He is right now in perhaps the most exciting place in the world, namely Times Square, New York City. What a hustly, bustly place. What is David doing down there? Well, he's with our friend Lincoln Jay, and they have launched an international campaign crowdfunded by Rebel News called Deport Hamas. What do we mean by deport Hamas? They're a terrorist group. They're not here, are they? Well, actually, they are in a way. What I mean by that is all the protests and rallies in support of Hamas. Now, we believe in freedom of speech, even for odious speech, but let's say it's a foreign national who is in New York, Washington, Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, Ottawa, and they're here to study. They said, hey, we're from some faraway country, we're not American citizens, but can we please go to school there? Can you give us a student visa so we can go to university in United States or Canada or Britain? And we say yes. And then they come here, and instead of adding to our society, instead of just be spending time studying, they go to these Hamas hate rallies. Well, like I say, one of the values of Western countries is our belief in freedom of speech. But if you are a foreign national, you don't have the right to be here. It's like a house guest. 
And if you invite a house guest over and he starts telling you what a Nazi he is and starts quoting Hitler and starts talking about the final solution, uh, you have the right to kick him out of your house because he's just a guest. He doesn't live there. And so the theory behind DeportHamas.com, which is our new campaign, is that in the Western countries, if there are people who are foreign nationals who are here to cause social division, to promote violence, to aid terrorist groups, and God forbid to even replicate some of that terrorism here, well, they should be sent home. Now, you can see there's obviously some Canadian-born folks there, and some there are some naturalized citizens. And I don't propose that someone who merely attates a, attends a hate rally be denaturalized. And obviously, what do you do with someone who was born and raised here? I think you do a few things. You denormalize Hamas. You, you demonize them because they are demons. They're demonic, certainly. But for those who are foreign citizens here on a visa, I think you... I mean, look at these folks out here chanting outside the Israeli embassy. Now it's fine to chant outside the Israeli embassy. Uh, by the way, when you're blocking roads like this, it's a good thing you're not a Canadian trucker or you might be stomped by riot horses, thrown in jail and have your bank account seized. But if you're a foreigner who has come to Canada to sow dissent, hey, how about get the hell out? I remember when I was in university way back in the day, there were foreign students from Syria, I remember a number in particular, who would be at the University of Calgary. They would take one course. So they were a registered student to take one course a semester. So 90% of their time was free. And they would basically stir up anti-Semitism full time on campus. And then they would go back to Syria five or 10 years later and do whatever project or who knows, maybe they would even stay in Canada. But they were basically foreign agents. And that was, you know, it's been some 30 years since I was at the University of Calgary. Now the problem is so much more massive. Back then, the number of uh, Jew haters on campus was very small. It was wonderful growing up in Canada in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It was a very peaceful and placid place. We didn't have people chanting death to the Jews or intifada revolution or from the river to the sea, uh, all of which are, are, are different ways of saying kill the Jews. Uh, now, do we have any viz of our of our friend in New York, or is it going to... Yeah. Here, let me show you a little bit of um, what the lads are up to in New York City. Take a look. David Menzies for Rebel News here in New York City with my ace cameraman, Lincoln J. And folks, we are fighting back. We are fighting back against foreign nationals in cities like New York, cities all around the world, in which thousands of demonstrators have come out in support of Hamas, in support of terrorism. And this is all in light of the barbaric atrocities that occurred in Israel on October 7th. More than 1,400 dead in many and savage and brutal ways. Why is it that foreign nationals are here supporting that? Why is it that so many people on student visas are advocating this kind of hatred? We are also going to be taking this truck to other cities, Washington, D.C., Ottawa, Toronto. And we want you to go to our new petition 
That's deporthamas.com, deporthamas.com. If you can put your name there, and also if you can make a donation, these trucks cost about $2,000 a day. We think it is indeed money well spent to deport these foreign nationals, who, by the way, should consider themselves lucky that they are not being charged under various laws that prohibit the support of terror groups in the first place. Once again, folks, please go to deporthamas.com. Well, there you have it. David and Lincoln in New York City with the billboard truck, uh, the LED truck um, that uh, shows some of the Hamas hate rallies. Um, They're down there doing what we call streeters, man on the street interviews, and they'll be uh, bringing attention to the vehicle. They will be off to other cities. They're going to Washington and they're coming back up to Canada. In my mind, this is a campaign that should be across various democracies. I know for a fact that both the British and the French immigration and foreign ministers have said things in this vein as well. That if you are not a national, but you've come to those countries to whip up hatred, that is not what we're about. It would be like in 1930s having German nationals strutting about in brown shirts with Nazi flags. Um, Go home. There were some indigenous British people who were Nazi. There were some Americans who supported the Nazis. I saw a headline the other day that some, uh, I think it was Georgetown, had like some student election and Hitler, you know, won the election in the 30s. There absolutely was some support for Hitler in the West amongst Americans, Canadians, Brits, that's for sure. But uh, the idea that German nationals would hold mass street rallies denouncing the West and praising Hitler was unthinkable, and it should be unthinkable today. So that's what our deporthamas.com petition is about, and we just started it in earnest today. Now, I understand that earlier today, Pierre Polyev Um, was asked what he would do. Because one of the bills that Stephen Harper talked about, I don't know if it ever came to a vote, was to make it against the law to glorify terrorism. And it's, I mean, and that's where you're getting to the issues of, well, do we believe in freedom of speech or not? My point of view is that you do believe in freedom of speech, even for odious speech. I think you have to. I think freedom of speech is something that you have to give to your opponent if you want it for yourself. Obviously, there's a line beyond which the speech is no longer just about speech. It's about other things. For example, I've shown you several times before the criminal code provisions against helping terrorist groups. And it doesn't say praising terrorist groups. That's not a crime. But if you participate in, if you facilitate If you instruct or if you harbor, there's four different things that are a crime. And then there's a list of these terrorist entities. Hamas is obviously one of them. Taliban, Al-Qaeda, Islamic Jihad, there's a ton of them. So if you are going to a hate rally, are you instructing um, Hamas? Probably not. Are you harboring Hamas? Probably not. But are you facilitating them? Maybe. 
if you're raising money for them, there was uh, some student groups in Florida who said, we are part of this uh, terror project. We have a terror toolkit. They didn't say terror. They just said, we're part of the Hamas project and we have a toolkit you can download. Well, Ron DeSantis said, ah, you're facilitating, you're participating. Um, of course, the law in Florida uses slightly different language than in Canada, but it's the same thing. You cannot assist a terrorist group because at that point, the pith and substance of what you're saying is not speech, it's terrorism. I mean, theoretically, you could say, well, forging a check is freedom of speech. Well, yeah, on the face of it, you know, it's artistic, you're forging someone's signature, but the, the pith and substance, as a lawyer would say, that what the essence of what you're really doing is not the artistry of forging someone's signature, it's a, it's a financial fraud. So at what point do words um, transform from being just words, even odious words, into a real crime? Right now, the criminal code says if you in, participate, instruct, harbor, or, or facilitate uh, terrorist groups, Stephen Harper said you shouldn't be able to glorify terrorism. Alas, that did not become law. Here's uh, Pierre Polyev, the leader of the Conservative Party, when pressed on the subject. Uh, given concerns that you and others have voiced over pro-Palestinian rallies, demonstrations that some argue have amounted to support for Hamas, if you form the next government, would you introduce laws that were in place under the Harper government that criminalize the advocacy or promotion of terrorism offenses? So we would, let's distinguish. People can protest any cause they want. They can state any opinion they choose and that will not change when I'm Prime Minister. I am running for Prime Minister to make Canada the freest nation on earth. So people are free to disagree with me on the Middle East or anything else. I have condemned people with my words, not with any proposed censorship, who have glorified the genocidal attacks by Hamas on Israeli civilians, which was the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust. We have already a criminal prohibition on providing material support to listed terrorist organizations like Hamas. That should be enforced. If you donate, raise money, coordinate, recruit for Hamas, it is already a crime and you should be arrested and prosecuted if you do that. At the same time, people are free to express any opinion they want, even when I find those opinions appalling. Finally, I don't agree with you conflating Palestinians with Hamas. They're completely different. The Palestinian people are not responsible for the evil of Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist dictatorship. They opposes, opposes itself on Palestinians. Palestinians are, the Palestinian people themselves are innocent, their lives are precious, and we should do everything we can to protect them and their families during this difficult time and on the Conservative Party expresses total solidarity with Canadian Jews and Canadian Muslims, both of whom are suffering because of this horrendous war that Hamas has unleashed and the evil that that organization represents. And in conclusion, we do believe Israel, like any other country, has the ability and the right to defend itself. Thank you. There's a lot that he said in there, and it's actually a thoughtful answer. He says he will not make glorification of mass murder and terrorism, horrific crimes. Um, he will not make the glorification of crime into a crime. 
And that's the principal position of a free speech supporter, which is how he identified himself. And you can see he referenced there that he used his speech to condemn the odious hate rallies that he has seen. I think it's also wise for him to differentiate between Palestinians and Hamas, although I'm troubled by how many Palestinians and other Muslims and Arabs do support Hamas. I think it's very troubling. I think he's correct to talk about uh, the criminal code provisions, about providing material support to uh, terrorist groups, but I think it's beyond material support. If you look at the criminal code, it's harboring, instructing, participating, or facilitating. And if there is a, a Hamas organized event, or if you are in league with Hamas, at what point are you participating and facilitating? I think uh, that he was not asked about, and I think he should be asked, what he thinks about the idea of deporting non-citizens who engage in these hate rallies. Because it's one thing to say, you support freedom of speech and Canada's about freedom of speech, and I agree with that. But do we accept foreign nationals who have no tenure here, we're not citizens, and who, like I observed when I was a student, come here for the purpose of sowing hatred and fomenting, really, I mean, when you're calling for intifada, that's the Arabic word for pogrom. When you're calling for from the river to the sea, you're saying kill every Jew in Israel. When you're calling for an intifada revolution in Canada, well, that's a violent revolution you're calling for. And I'm not sure why Canadian citizens, including Canadian Jews, have to be abused by foreign nationals who have no right to be here, who are here as our guests. So I think that uh, he was not asked that question, the question that is behind our Deport Hamas campaign. I hope our Deport Hamas campaign gets some support. Um, so, uh, but I'm glad he's talking about it. I'm glad he's thinking about it. And I should point out that the first instinct of the Liberal Party is to demand more control over the Internet. And I know that because the Justice Minister, Arif Virani, when he attended a anti-Semitism conference a couple of weeks ago, and I used my finger quotes there because the liberals don't care about anti-Semitism. The worst anti-Semites in Canada are in their caucus, Omar al-Gabra, Ikra Khalid. Um, but uh, Arif Virani, who I don't believe is anti-Semitic, by the way, he, uh, he said, oh, and uh, I'm very concerned about anti-Semitism, and so I'm going to, what? ban glorifying terrorist groups? What, crack down on these hate rallies? No, 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 no. I'm going to reintroduce some online censorship, which will be used against the Liberal Party's critics. So uh, I much prefer uh, um, Pierre Polyev's approach than Arif Varani's approach, which will do nothing to stop the hate marches on the streets, but will absolutely be used to silence the people who criticize those hate marches. And do you doubt for a second that uh, it'll be used against, say, Rebel News? Um, so uh, that's an interesting start to the show, and I hope you think so, and it's nice to have you here, and I appreciate you. We were a few minutes late because we were doing a special recording. Um, we were doing a special recording that we're going to play 
at our Rebel News Live uh, conference, which is being held in a few weeks in Calgary. In fact, it's coming up quite quickly. Um, I'll be there, Alexa Lavoie, David Menzies, Drea Humphrey, Adam So, Sheila Gunn-Reed, John Carpe from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, um, Harrison Faulkner from our friends at True North, Heather Mason, I don't know if you can see her, she's in that uh, little hexagon on the bottom left there. She is very interesting in some ways. I mean, listen, I've heard everyone here speak, so maybe I'm... Uh, slightly uh, in, immune to the charms of um, people who I've seen 10 times. We have some amazing, Billboard Chris is coming, for example. How much fun is that? But Heather Mason, who's a very interesting person who I had the chance to meet a few months ago, she is the founder of something called Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let me read her official biography. Heather Mason, a former inmate at a women's penitentiary, will share her compelling personal story that sheds light on pressing issue of male trans prisoners being placed alongside female prisoners. Heather isn't merely an observer. While in prison, Heather encountered men, including many sexual predators being placed with women and even babies in women-only facilities. Can you imagine that? There are, I, I don't know if you know this, and, and Efron, stop me if I've uh, told this anecdote before. Well, you're not going to stop me. I'll tell it again. Um, I didn't know this, but as soon as you hear it, it makes sense to you. Did you know that in Canadian prisons, uh, women's prisons, if there's a woman who was a new mum, the baby actually goes in prison with the mum. Now, if that sounds weird to you, just stay with me for a second. Let's say you've got like a three-month-old or a six-month-old, probably still breastfeeding. They need almost round-the-clock attention from their mom. And it, if you sent the mom into prison, now, first of all, it's got to be a pretty serious offense to be sentenced to time in, in custody, uh, to be incarcerated. Very few uh, criminals are jailed and very, very few women are jailed. Um, but even if you are jailed, if you are a mom of a very small baby, the baby goes into jail with you. Now, it's not, you know, big iron bars like Shawshank Redemption with a cop who takes the, you know, his baton and goes tick, 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 tick on the bars. It's, it's not like that for women's prisons where kids are. It's more like a dorm. It's more like a common area with like it, it's it's more like a college dorm experience from what i've been told okay but here's my point who are the men going into women's prisons well first of all what man wouldn't prefer going into a woman's prison than a men's prison you're less likely to be killed or beaten up if you're in a women's prison uh it is easier living it is gentler surroundings. It's a little bit less of that Shawshank Redemption prison. Um, but most importantly, if you are a sexual predator who is convicted, if you're a rapist, God forbid if you're a child rapist or a child molester, there are several good reasons that you will say, I'm trans. Let me in with the gals. Reason number one is even amongst 
prisoners, even amongst murderers and thieves and robbers and terrorists, there is a moral code. And someone who abused a child is often at risk in a prison of being beat up or even killed because other prisoners, even they have a, a, a sense of right and wrong. So if you are a child molester, convicted pedophile, you don't want to be in a male prison because you may be killed. You do want to be in a women's prison because it's, it's gentler. But that's where the women are too. So if you're a rapist, a convicted rapist, you want to be where the women are. And as I just told you, there are children, there are young children in some of these prisons too. Our friend David Menzies actually attended a protest uh, led by Heather Mason. Let's play a little bit, um, just to get a little bit of uh, a, a feeling for, for what the issue is. Let's turn the sound up and play a bit. And what it is that they're protesting is an absolutely egregious thing that is occurring in the penal system in Canada, namely going back to 2017, the Justin Trudeau Liberals and Correctional Service of Canada thought it was a perfectly good idea to have male prisoners who identify as females be incarcerated in female institutions. And we are talking murderers, we are talking rapists, we are talking pedophiles. And naturally, I know what you're thinking, what could possibly go wrong? Well, a lot can go wrong. A lot of the women who are here, that is to say the real biological women, are at risk to their personal health and safety because they are in the same institution as biological males. This is crazy. And so it is that this group who is assembling here today is trying to create awareness of a truly egregious situation. Let's hear what it is they have to say of radical transgenderism run amok. Uh, I don't even know how to count. <laughs> I lived with one of them in my unit for about six months. And to witness how he, I will not, I, I will not call him a woman because he was not, um, how he victimized women throughout the compound over that period of time absolutely floored me, disturbed me. Um, he sexually assaulted a woman in my house when we were there. And when I first got here, I was told right away by some of the women to watch out for a certain prisoner. And I said, wait, we have men here? And they're like, yeah, we do. But you're not allowed to call them men and you have to use she, her pronouns. That was the beginning of when I realized that we were supposed to lie and go along with things and just remain silent. That same person was sexually harassing multiple women on compound. I experienced it. Several of my friends experienced it. And we all just stayed quiet about it because we thought that because we were criminalized and in prison that it was our fault for being here in the first place and we deserved what happened to us. Well, I'm with Heather Mason of Canadian Women Sex Space Rights. And Heather, I mean, this is an incredible issue. And I, I wonder how, how many people in the general population know that this is a thing that a male offender can simply say he identifies as being a woman and suddenly he's in a female correctional uh, facility such as this uh, here, Grand Valley Institution for Women. How did this become a thing in the first place? 
I don't think a lot of people are really aware of what's going on, but so Ontario passed um, their own human rights code in 2012 and the provincial jails started implementing it in 2015 and that's when I first ran across like sex offenders that were not transitioned who were trying to get into the women's prisons. And then um, federally, with Bill C-16 in 2017, they added gender identity and self-expression, and then they started transferring in. So they no longer required surgery because the, before the bill was passed, they had to have surgery in order to be in our institution. You know, it sounds like public safety is no longer the underlying factor anymore. It's we don't want any hurt feelings. Even if you are, God forbid, a murderer or a rapist, we don't want to hurt your feelings if you identify as a female. But hasn't anyone in the Correctional Service of Canada figured out that there might be men gaming the system, which is to say, I'm a heterosexual man. If I got into trouble and got incarcerated into a male facility, are you telling me, Heather, I can just deviously say, hey, I'm a woman all of a sudden, and I'm here? Yes, you could. You could identify as a woman and then apply for a transfer. Transgender men, so those are females that transition to be men, they are denied transfer due to overriding health and safety concerns because they'll be raped in a men's institution. But that same courtesy isn't extended. So. They didn't, they're not even considering that we'll be raped here. They just get the entitlement of transgender status, they get to apply for transfer, and there's no scrutiny to it. I can't believe what I'm hearing, and, and yet when you stand up to this madness, and that's what I think this is, Heather, you are, I would imagine, and I'll be labeled this too, a transphobe, that you cannot say anything wrong, and yet, all those dangerous male offenders are suddenly identifying as female. Um, the very fact that they're dangerous offenders mean they don't play by the rules. Why doesn't um, Correctional Service of Canada think that maybe these are people that are, like I said before, gaming the system? They're trying to get into an environment with vulnerable women. I mean, who could possibly support this? It blows my mind because there is documented proof of them gaming the system, especially Stephen Melbacher. So he was in a men's institution for two decades. And then while he was out, he ended up getting revoked on his uh, parole, started identifying as a woman, transferred into a woman's institution. He was in Fraser Valley. There was stuff that went on there. He got transferred to Edmonton. Um, they involuntarily transferred him to Grand Valley. He continued his shenanigans. Now he's on criminal charges for sexual assault and harassment and he has an upcoming trial in the fall of this year but you know Heather that's a lie I'm sorry to say trans women are real women we just for example published a book about transgenderism in sport and despite the dis discipline whether it's cycling weightlifting mixed martial arts you have men now identifying as women uh, cleaning the floor with their opponents uh, and, and with good reason, the, the more muscle mass, a greater respiratory, um, you know, systems. It was ever thus that we always segregated male and female sport uh, with the exception of equestrian and auto racing, you know, the horse and the car being the uh, yeah. difference. So how can they possibly chant trans women are real women when we know by looking at elite sports uh, that isn't the case 
Well, and it's same when we start looking at the stats. Who's who is more involved with sex crimes and violent crimes? And like we have for history, it shows the same, right? And looking at the dangerous offender numbers, so all that information and the stats are there. They're just blatantly ignoring it now. Yeah. And there's actually nothing to prove that trans women are women, and that if they identify as women, that means that they still have the same criminal patterns and behavior, offending style as actual females. Like it just, it all blows my mind. I don't get it. Hi. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm good. There was an understanding that the protest would be on the side of the... Oh, I'm not a protester, ma'am. I'm, I'm David Menzies with Rebel News. Um, say, how many how many males pretending to be females do you have in this institution? I have no response. You have no response? What, what do you think about women, real biological women, like you two, sure. who are at risk? Uh, if, on the sidewalk, please, sir, it's fine. You can, you, can, you can talk all you want on the sidewalk. And what, what harm are we doing here on this uh, private property? Okay, then. Well, we're, we're not springing out anyone, but what? why don't you have anything to say about male f males falsely passing themselves off as females and engendering real women real women like you two comments, no comment no comment. no comment why can't you comment on that i mean you you are you are with this institution are you not if you could come to the side of the institute on the curb side that would be great is the reason for no comment is that if you speak out against transgenderism will you be fired or disciplined is that re why you won't comment no Thank comment. You. Do you not think that this is an egregious thing against the health and safety rights of women in this institution? No comment, sir. No comment? Yeah. Okay. It's sorry to see real women like yourselves throw women inmates under the bus because of males pretending to be females. Like I said, sir, um, their agreement was for the protest to be on the curbside. This is Federal Reserve now. Okay. You're in Federal Reserve. Okay. So if you could go on the side of the curb that would be great well i'll tell you what if you're gonna phone the police and charge me i hereby identify as a female so i want to be incarcerated in there what do you think about that wasn't that a funny line you knew that was coming you absolutely knew that was coming wasn't it david saying if you arrest me i want you to put me in with the gals i'm laughing but it's not very funny <clears throat> i've heard heather mason speak at some length and if you in prison if you didn't call the men ma'am or miss, if you didn't use their fake names, Chrissy or whatever they would have called themselves, the, um, the guards and the warden would punish you and you would have privileges taken away. And by the way, these trans uh, prisoners, as you heard there, they don't actually go through any, you know, they're not, I mean, some of them may be on hormones or have surgery, but it's absolutely not required. You just have to exp identify as a woman, and you're put in a women's prison. You can have a beard, you can have your twig and berries. In fact, most of them do. What's so insane is that if you simply identify as a woman, even though you're full-blooded male, you can demand that your strip searches in the prison are conducted by a, the same gender, which would be women. Let me say that again. Let's say you're a sexual predator, convicted rapist, and molester. You say, oh, I don't want to be in with the fellas. Put me in with the gals. I'm trans. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go on hormones. You don't have to get it cut off. You just have to say, I'm trans. And then you can say, and for my 
cavity search and my body search, I want a woman to search me because I'm trans. And that is how it is at Corrections Canada. That is a fact. And, uh, and you can just imagine the insane world. You know, I, I think I might have told you this story before. When I would visit Tommy Robinson in prison in the United Kingdom at HMP Belmarsh, a very strict prison facility, uh, it's really their Guantanamo Bay. Um, dogs sniff you. They, when you go in, they search inside your mouth, which I've never had before. Um, you know, they, they search uh, you in a number of ways. They, they look in your mouth, or at least they looked in my mouth. Um, I don't know what they thought I was bringing in. Um, you had to take off your watch. You had to take off your belt. You had to, like, it was, uh, my point is the feeling, the number one feeling I had in prison was helplessness. You were completely at the mercy of the guards and the warden. And if they liked you, your life might be easier. And if they didn't like you, your life would be terrible. It was comparable to being an infant, to being a baby, that a parent could pick you up and do literally anything. And so you've just got, you're totally helpless. Obviously, you're not a little baby, but they have total authority over you. And to me, that was the most terrifying thing about prison. Obviously, other inmates who were murderers and terrorists and gangs, that's terrifying. But just as terrifying was the whimsy of the guards. And if for whatever reason the guards didn't like you, you would be at risk of anything, any sort of violence to you, any sort of mishap. And I tell you that because imagine being a female prisoner and this child molester male rapist says, I'm trans. And you can't ask for help. And you can't fight back. And you can't say, get him away from me. Oh, you said him. You misgendered him. That's got to be absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Hey, let's take a short break. Let's run some ads. And, uh, and we'll come back in a couple minutes, okay? Here we go. David Menzies for Rebel News here in downtown Toronto. And I got to tell you folks, next March, March 23rd to 30th to be precise, we are going on a Caribbean cruise. Can you imagine that? And a lot of your favorite rebels will be there, such as Sheila Gunn-Reeds. We got Alexa Lavoie, the big boss man himself. Of course, he'll be there, Ezra Levant. And how about this? How about this for the cherry on the Sunday? Tamara Leach, Canada's number one freedom fighter. She'll be on that boat too. And look at the itinerary. We're gonna be going to Half Moon Cay in the Bahamas, and then we're gonna jazz it up in Oco Rios, Jamaica, and then there's Georgetown in the Cayman Islands, and finally Cozumel, Mexico. Can you imagine that? If you want more details in terms of getting aboard the ship, go to rebelnewscruise.com. That's rebelnewscruise.com. All the details are there, the departure dates, the costs, and you know what? This is not just a fun-filled getaway. This is a way in which Rebel News raises some revenue. Unlike the mainstream media, we don't receive a nickel of government funding, nor would we take it if ever offered. So it's win-win. Enjoy yourself in the Caribbean and Mexico, and also support your favorite online news channel. So that's rebelnewscruise.com. I hope to see you aboard. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? 
you're not alone. The Wellness Company Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twc.health rebel today. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. After years, I'm finally coming to Canada. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist. I've trained in epidemiology. The FDA wanted to block the Pfizer dossier for 55 years. 50% of the lives at that time could have been saved. We were at about 250,000 deaths. Red Deer, Thursday, November 9th. Get tickets at canadiansfortruth.ca. See you Thursday, November 9th. Come on out November 25th, it's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists. Like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus New World Sun, just off a European tour, and the legendary R&B master, Leroy Emanuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. There's a lot going on. It's 1.50, so I want to hurry up a little bit. I want to show you a video that's not got to do with... Uh, uh, I, I thought that was an interesting video about men in women's prisons. Did you know about that? I sort of knew about it, but I didn't think, well, what would it be like to be a woman in prison if a man was pushed in there with you? And Heather Mason tells the story. She's one of the guests at Rebel News Live, which will be in Calgary in about three weeks' time. Um, hey, I want to show you a new video released by the Israel Defense Forces. It's a very interesting video. Where is Hamas's headquarters? In some ways, the answer is it's not in Gaza. It's in Doha, Qatar, the capital city where the leadership of Hamas lives under the protection of the Qatari dictator. I understand they actually live at the Four Seasons, which is quite a posh hotel. Um, and it makes sense because if they actually lived in Gaza, they would probably be taken out by Israeli special forces. But what about the actual uh, commando commanders for the terrorists on the ground? I mean, it's one thing to make the big strategic moves and to order the big operations from Qatar, but who's going to do the middle management of the actual terrorists on the ground in Gaza? Well, those people would be in Gaza. So where is that headquarters? There are thousands of Hamas terrorists. I, I saw one estimate of 20,000. Okay, that's a lot of people. So where's their command center? Surely Israel could take it out, right? Well, take a look at this. Here's a video of where Israel says the command headquarters is. Take a look. Where are Hamas headquarters? Are they under a school, a university, a mosque, a hospital? All of the above. Based on a wide range of intelligence from the Intelligence Directorate and the ISA, 
we have located Hamas's headquarters underneath the Shifa hospital compound. Here you can see multiple underground complexes along with an access point located inside of a mosque to a complex spiderweb of terrorist infrastructure used to plan and conduct terrorist activities. Hamas has blatantly placed their own civilians as their shields. Not only do they hide underneath it, they also abuse the hospital's electricity and fuel supply that should be used for the people of Gaza. Hamas controls the energy resources of Gaza. Hamas has chosen to divert these vital resources for terrorism at the expense of Gazan people. This is a tragic reality for Gazans, and Hamas is responsible for it. So how do you handle that? What do you do if they literally build an underground bunker beneath a hospital? And of course they do, because that's the safest place. Why? Because if the opponent was Vladimir Putin, or if the opponent was the Pentagon, if the opponent was any other army in the world, they would bomb it. And I know that because I am unaware of any other war in history where every single casualty, including fake casualties trumped up by Hamas, is international news. Do you know how many people the United States and the UK uh, killed in um, the war against Saddam Hussein? And by the way, I, I, I'm, that's how wars are. There's casualties. The estimates are around a million. And you know that in World War II, there were tens of millions of civilian casualties, tens of millions, including the most obvious cases, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, two civilian cities that were targeted, not for a particular military base, but the cities themselves were targeted. The firebombings of Tokyo, the firebombings of Dresden. Um, and I'm not saying I like any of that. I'm just saying, do you think for one second that if Hitler put his bunker underneath a hospital, a, a church, a playground, a school, do you think for one second the Soviet Union and the other allies would have hesitated to bomb it? Are you kidding? I mean, the Red Army itself just ground into powder everything in front of it. Here, let's look at some more. Uh, are, those, are those new images here? So these are produced by the Israeli Defense Force, hidden under the guise of a hospital. Hamas uses 1,500 beds and approximately 4,000 staff as cover to plan terrorist attacks. They hide convicted murderers and store weapons for terrorism, endangering thousands of patients and staff for the hospital. Well, we know, I mean, and this isn't news. I think it's a new release that um, the IDF has put out, but I, I think it's been pretty well known for years. Um, and it's acknowledged by many other authorities that, I mean, that, I don't even think that's controversial. Um, in fact, last I saw, it was actually in the, in the Wikipedia page for um, the Al-Shifa Hospital. Not that Wikipedia means anything. Uh, anyone can edit Wikipedia, but... Like it's it's even the pro Hamas left wing editors of Wikipedia acknowledge that it, that it happened. 
So how do you go about that? Um, do you think any other army in the world would hesitate to take out the command headquarters of a terrorist group? Um, so anyways, I, I want to take, it's 1.56 Eastern time, so we're almost done anyways, but I do want to switch towards uh, a Canadian topic. Um, a couple of Canadian topics, maybe. I'm not sure how much time we have. Um, let's go to Danielle Smith. And I know I'm just completely shifting gears here, but Israel and Hamas and the war is not the only thing in the world. We're interested in other things, too. So uh, here's Danielle Smith, who was actually attending like a lefty environmentalist event, which I, I guess I give her credit for doing. I mean, they hate Alberta. They're funded. It's the Pembina Institute. They're funded by foreign sources to shut down Alberta's oil patch for the benefit of OPEC and Russia. Um, I mean, they're, they're pretty play. It's like Greenpeace. When was the last time you ever saw Greenpeace complain about an OPEC country? Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Nigeria, Venezuela, Qatar. You just never do, which is really, really noticeable. Once you say it, you can't unnotice it again. I mean, they're against North American energy. And the UK actually has some North Shore offshore oil. But you would think, I mean, Venezuela and Saudi Arabia are the number one and number two uh, oil reserves in the world. Canada is number three. Depends on how you measure Canada's number two or number three. Why are they silent about Venezuela? Why are they silent about all those other OPEC regimes? And so if you've got a group like the Pembina uh, Foundation, the Pembina Institute, that just craps on Canadian ethical oil, it's obvious that they're uh, either with full knowledge or unwittingly in the service of Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran. And that's not just speculation. The, what's the world's largest natural gas company? Um, there's different ways of measuring. You could say that Qatar is up there, but Gazprom is probably the answer. That's the Russian um, state strategic company. So there is some private sector ownership of it, but the Kremlin controls it. It cannot enter into any foreign contracts without the approval of, of Putin. And yeah, that's a long way of saying Danielle Smith, the premier of Alberta, attended a conference put on by these oil patch haters. Is it a good idea or not? I'm not sure. This is a version of the video with the counter signal logo on it, but it's not their video. It was, I think, published by Max Fawcett. But uh, let's take a look at uh, Danielle Smith sparring with um, an environmentalist. I think she... I think she gets the better of them. You take a look. Does anyone think that would be possible to get that built in 12 years Chris? starting now? I mean, you talk to you go ahead. You go ahead and talk to Jonathan Wilkinson then, because I can tell you, I can tell you, Site C began in 1954. Site C began in 1954. Fine. Do you think I can get? Do you think I can get uh, an equivalent amount of nuclear rolled out in 12 years? Do you think I could do that in, a, in an environment that we've never had well, nuclear before? I, I don't want to interrupt the two of you. Do you, do you th I, what, what, what do I, you I know, know? And I, I get. And I, what do you know that my industry experts don't know about? about you know, 
Well, you know, and what do I do when there's no sun and there's no wind? Batteries, let's talk about batteries okay, because yeah. I've talked to somebody. I want to I talk about batteries for a minute because I know that everybody thinks that this economy is going to be operated on wind and solar and battery power, and it cannot. There is no industrialized economy in the world operating that way because they need baseload. And I'll tell you what I know about batteries because I talked to somebody who was thinking of investing in it on a 200 megawatt plant. One million dollars to be able to get each megawatt stored. That's 200 million dollars for his plant alone, and he would get one hour of storage. So if you want me to have 12,000 megawatts of storage, that's $12 billion for one hour of storage, $24 billion for two hours of storage, $36 billion for three hours of storage, and there are long stretches in winter where we can go weeks without wind or solar. That is the reason why we need legitimate, real solutions that rely on baseload power rather than fantasy thinking. And I am not going to engage in fantasy thinking and say something is possible when I know that my principal job... I, I think we need to stop. My principal I, job I, is to have a reliable yeah. energy grid. That's what I'm trying to do. I, I, I think I understand. Uh, that got interesting, didn't it? So, so there she was uh, sparring, sparring with some environmental activists. And good for her. What does she call it? Fantasy thinking. Um, yeah, I remember when I published my book, Ethical Oil, The Case for Canada's Oil Sands, and then I did a follow-up called Groundswell, The Case for Fracking. I said that the test for energy ethics is not oil with all of its problems versus some fantasy fuel of the future that's perfect in every way other than it doesn't exist, like dilithium crystals in Star Trek, or if you ever watched the insufferable avatar series um i, I only watched the first one uh they were looking for an element called unobtainium which is pretty on the nose isn't it unobtainium it's perfect except we just don't have it so if you're comparing oil or gas or nuclear against some fantasy fuel of the future of course it's not going to measure up but uh if you are in real life you have to you have to say serious things and saying, oh, we'll just have solar and wind and then these giant batteries and that'll work. Um, maybe one day it will. I mean, never say never. I mean, there's some smart guys out there like Elon Musk really trying to make it work. But Elon Musk is not against oil or gas or nuclear. In fact, he says it's all essential. How are you going to power the electrical grid? Solar ain't going to do it. Maybe one day. I mean, could be. I mean, they've been trying to make alchemy work for a few centuries, turn lead into gold. Maybe one day they can. Who am I to say otherwise? But so far they haven't. Uh, maybe one day the unreliables, as Alex Epstein calls them, he says, don't say renewables and non-renewables. Say reliables and unreliables. Um, solar don't work when it's dark out. Wind don't work when it's not windy or when it's too windy. And by the way, the amount of space taken up by solar wind is enormous compared to the tiny footprint of a nuclear plant or even oil and gas, most of which is under the surface. So um, if someone says, no, 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 I've got just around the corner, we've got this perfect techno future. OK, let me know when that's here. But in the meantime, I think I got to fill my car up with gas today or tomorrow. So while you guys are daydreaming about your fantasy Star Trek fuel source, um, 
I got to fill up my car with gas. And the choice in back here in the real world is either between conflict energy from Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Nigeria, Russia, or ethical energy from, it's a very short list of countries, Canada, the United States, North Sea Oil, which, you know, Norway, UK. That's about it. Uh, it's not from the chocolate-making superpowers of, you know, Switzerland and Belgium. Those are good places, but they don't have any oil. So good for her for going into the lion's den and saying, uh, you know, back here in reality, what you're talking about is a fantasy. All righty. Well, it is 2.04 p.m. Thank you for staying with us. I'm going to sign off. I'll be back at 8 p.m. Eastern time with uh, my monologue. And um, we'll have a special video from Avi Yamini, who is in Israel. And apparently, there's an enormous aerial bombardment of Gaza going on right now, which uh, may be the uh, preliminary uh, round of a land invasion. Who knows? Until tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, goodbye, and keep fighting for freedom.